Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this morning we are glad to be here. We come with you as our focus. We turn our eyes to you, God, in our hearts and our minds. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. God, show us what we are really like. And then in the face of that, show us what you are really like. Or show us what you are really like, Father, and in light of that, may we see what we are really like. And may there be reconciliation. May there be resolve there. God, make us a people who, in light of you and ourselves, in the vision of you beside ourselves, want to give you glory. God, make us a people that desire to give you glory. Make us like Moses last week saying, please show me your glory. Make us the people who mean what we just sang from the depths of our hearts and souls. God, make us like that. Oh, Father, be worshipped today through us as we hear the word and respond to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would please turn to Exodus 34. Exodus 34 in your Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, you're using a pew Bible. It's page 80 in that black pew Bible there in front of you. Exodus chapter 34. Last week was that great passage where God tells them that he is going to bless them and lead them and take care of them and provide for them and lead them to the promised land. But he was not going to go with them because of their sin. He said, if I go with y'all, I will destroy you. You're a sinful people. I can't have sinful people around me. I'll take care of you. You can go, but I'm not going. Moses knows that's not what the people of God want. We don't want the blessing of God apart from God. I sure hope that you don't. Moses says, God, if you don't go with us, don't send us. It's an awesome statement. He says, please show us your ways. Please show me your glory. Is it not you going with us and being with us? That we are distinct from every other people and tribe on the planet. What makes us who we are is that you are with us, God. Don't ever leave us. Don't ever forsake us. Don't ever send us without you, God. We don't know what to do apart from you. So God says, okay, I won't. It's an awesome passage. Well, chapter 34, we have... The beginnings of that, a renewal of the covenant, and God sending them or taking them to the promised land. I want to ask you here today if you have some things in your past that you're not very proud of. I want to ask you today if you would be honest that your past is is filled with some sin. That your previous years have some dark spots in them. I want to ask you if you know that. I don't want to dwell on it too much. But I want to ask you if you've ever thought about those moments, those times, those seasons. Those periods of sin and darkness and rebellion. 
If you've ever looked at those and thought, how did I do that? How did I act in such a way? You ever look back at old pictures and seen yourself dressing all funny and goofy and thought, what is that? What's that hairstyle? What what is that? You ever look back on your sinful life and thought, ugh. Do you have memories of how you treated somebody so harshly? You think, how did I speak in such a way? I want to ask you today if you can remember those moments. How was I so rude? How was I so self-centered? How was I so prideful? How was my tongue so loose and so harsh and so crude and so foul? How was I chasing what satisfied me so wildly? Because in this passage, we have God dealing with this crooked, stubborn, under the words of Moses, stiff-necked people. That's how they were. And God comes to it and brings His character His nature, the character and persons and characteristics of God are brought into those sinful lives. And what results of it can only be described as the beautiful, gracious, gospel glory of God. And I want to ask you today, if your past in your dark seasons, in your sins, have been dealt with, or have been seen, or have been brought to the character of God. Read with me, if you will, at Exodus 34. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourselves two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. You remember what happened here, right? You remember God told Moses to come up on the mountain just a few chapters back. And and Moses goes up on the mountain and God talks to Moses. And God God takes two stone tablets and God writes on the stone tablets the Ten Commandments. And God gives them to Moses and says, now, go back down to your people and govern them with my law. You remember that. And so Moses comes walking down the mountain with two tablets and one underneath each arm, we would we would we would suspect. And he comes walking down the mountain and he meets up with Joshua halfway and he says, I hear singing in the camp. Or I hear noise in the camp. And Joshua says, maybe they're at war. And Moses says, no, that's not that's not the sound of war. That's not the sound of being attacked. That's not the sound of. Morning, I think they're singing and cheering and dancing and celebrating. What are they doing? And they get back to the camp. Moses has been gone for just a little bit. And the people are there worshiping with all out joy and celebration, worshiping a man made golden calf, a little cow. They have a little cow that's made out of gold before them and they are worshiping it, calling it holy and worthy, calling it a redeemer, calling it the one that would save them from their sins. They are worshiping this calf. And Moses is furious. 
He doesn't know what's going on. How in the world? God has been so good to you and taken care of you and blessed you so much. He's redeemed you out of slavery. How in the world are you doing that? And Moses throws the two tablets of stone down and goes at the people. And stops that idolatry. And when he does, the two stones broke. People of God had broken the covenant of God, the covenant with God. They had told God they were going to obey the law in every way. They had made that huge, dumb, uh, wrong focus declaration. We will obey every single law you've given us, God. That's what they said. And they didn't do it. And now Moses was mad and he had thrown the two stone tablets down and they were broken. The covenant was broken. What's going to happen next? They have sinned greatly. They didn't do what they said they would do. Is God going to leave them forever? Do they ever want God back? Is this uh, issue, this enmity, this strife, this sinful, is this relationship ever going to be repaired? Well, that's what Moses was asking for in the last chapter. And so here, God says, go get some stones. Let's start over. Folks, I want to ask you here today, if you know that God says, let's start over. I want to ask you here today, if you know that whatever it is in your past that is dark and filthy and is weighing you down, that God has not said, that's it. The stones are broken because Moses broke them. And Moses broke them because the people had rejected God, forgotten God, and went on to worship something that they made with their own hands. And yet God says, let's make some more. Praise God that he starts over. He reminds Moses, you broke them. Look at verse 2. It says, be ready by the morning. And come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. So it's very similar to what happened before. This time, though, God's not providing the tablets. This time, Moses has to go and cut the tablets and make them ready and bring them with him, which Moses does. Present yourself there there to me on the top of the mountain. Verse 3. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. Now, this is not something new. God said the same thing before. Only Moses was allowed up the mountain. Sinful people cannot get into the presence of God. They will be destroyed. God does not. One commentator says, when human beings are where God is, they ought to honor him by their thoughts and actions. God knows that Moses will do that as he invites him up. But the other people are not allowed up. He tells them not to come up. And so Moses is the one who's coming up there. God is going to write on the tablets again the law. Restart the covenant. It's an interesting passage that we have here in Exodus 34. The people should have in every way been pushed away by God. They've already done this several times throughout the the beginning of the Bible. They say they want God and they run from God. They say they want God and they run from God. Well, in the midst of God taking care of them, he has their leader up on the mountain. He's doing good to Moses so that Moses can lead the people. He's just taking his time. It says that he was delayed. They turn their backs on God and they go to worship this. They quickly made something that they wanted to satisfy them other than God. And it was wrong. Verse four. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning and he went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. What is Moses doing there? Obeying. Moses is listening. 
He is following instruction. He has heard what God has told him to do and he's doing it. Why? Because he understands that God is giving them another, yet another, yet another opportunity to get right with God. God has not pushed them away. God has not written them off. And God is again giving them another chance. And Moses understands this. And Moses understands what I hope all of us understand. That if somebody ever gives you a second chance, you don't go at it the same way you did the first time with your ignorant, not caring, half-hearted, lackadaisical, uh, sorry efforts. You come at it the way you're supposed to come at it. And Moses is doing this beautifully. God is giving him a second chance. So he comes in repentance, asking for the forgiveness of sins. And he comes doing every little thing that God has told him to do. Listen here, folks. If you are trying to get right with God, you get right with God on his terms. You don't hate what you did last night and ask him for forgiveness today. knowing as soon as he forgives me, I can't wait to get back to that thing. That's not repentance. That's not a brokenness. That's not a conviction of sin. And that is not a picture of salvation. What God does when he is merciful to somebody is he gives them grace in their sin and gives them strength and power to leave their sin. You remember with the woman that was caught in adultery and Jesus' famous words to her, therefore, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And what you see happening here with Moses is Moses wanting to move forward, obeying God in every single way. Cut the stone. Come to the mountain. Come up Mount Sinai. Don't let anybody come. Bring them with you. And it says Moses did it. He did it. He did it. He did it. He did it. Everything that God is telling Moses to do, Moses is doing because he understands that great God Almighty is giving them a second chance. Another chance. And he wants to not mess it up. Verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So Moses goes up. He's done everything God's told him to do. And God comes to me. Isn't it nice when you've sinned against somebody and it's convicting you like crazy? Your heart's not right. You're living with guilt. And you finally get to the point of wanting to talk to them about it. And they're willing to. What if God had skipped that meeting? What if Moses had went there wanting to get right and God had said, no. I'm not letting you get me again. You already burned that bridge. No second chances here. Isn't it awesome that God showed up? God didn't stand Moses up. He came. Who are the guilty, sinful ones here? Moses representing the people. Who are the ones who have been offended and rebelled against and sinned against and done wrongly? God. Moses does what God tells him to do. And God shows up. What an awesome, awesome thought. The Lord descended in the cloud. And stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Does everybody see that? God came to Moses and what did he do? He started proclaiming his name. Started proclaiming his name. Now what we're going to see here is that when God is proclaiming his name, 
He's not just saying his name. He's not standing there going, God, 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 God. He's not just saying his name. He's not saying Josh, 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 Josh. He's telling Moses what he's like. Your name represents your character. Your name represents who you are. Now, this is good old-fashioned stuff. If you've ever talked to your dad or your grandpa, you've probably heard him say this. they got a good name. That's a good name. Every time I've ever gone with my dad to buy anything, a lawnmower or a TV or anything, he'll say, I've never heard that name before, but that's a good name right there. He's talking about the name. He's not meaning I like those letters. That's got a cool sound. You know, Honda's a good word. He's not saying stuff like that. He's meaning the, the name that that represents is a good product. It's dependable, reliable, it's faithful, it's good. That is quality. That's trustworthy no matter what he's talking about. You know this. When you go to buy a computer, you can go over here to Best Buy and they've got some that are really cheap, but you've never, you've literally never even heard of that type of computer. Well, you can buy you one that you've heard everybody else talk about is a really good one, right? We're talking about the name of something representing what it really is. And when God comes to Moses and descends there and starts to talk to him, God proclaims God. Does everybody see that in verse 5? The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Commentator Stewart says, it is the divine, it is the divine person behind the name that one seeks when invoking a divine name. When we say we're going to pray in the name of Jesus, we don't mean that saying the name Jesus necessarily means anything. We mean that who Jesus is means everything. And so we're going to pray in the name of Jesus. Did you just pray from somewhere off the wall? Did you just pray with your own desire and your own wishful thinking? Or did you appeal to the one who bought you from your sins in his holiness and rose from the grave with power over sin and devil and death? And if I ask in the name of Jesus, all power from God Almighty can take my prayer and answer it. We pray in the name of Jesus. And when God comes to Moses in 34 verse 5, Moses is there desperate. Him and his people have broken the covenant. They have been worshiping a golden calf of all things. The tablets are broken. It's a bad situation. This is a past that is not to be celebrated. This is not something that you're going to brag about when you get to talk about somebody in the neighborhood. When you get to talk to somebody in the neighborhood. It's not. And God comes down and starts talking about God. Now I'm going to ask you, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Would that have comforted you and thrilled you? Or would that have made you feel awful? Hey, that would have been the best thing you could have heard. I need to learn this when it comes to parenting. So often when I'm having to get on the kids, it's, what are you doing? What were you thinking? How did you do that? And it's all about what they're doing wrong. That's not a good situation. That's not what they like to hear. That doesn't sound good to them or for them. God comes to Moses and starts talking about God. I want to ask you if God's ever talked to you about himself. I want to ask if you ever heard what he's like. I think that most of the problems with religious people and in our part of the world, is that they think they know some stuff about God, but they really don't. I know they've never heard this passage. 
This passage is too good for us to be worldly and sinful and idolatrous toward this God. And I want to ask you if you might admit here today that you've got all of this attitude and response and views about God. Could it possibly be off a little bit? Could your strong and and, and pushback of opinions be based off something that's not true about God? And I would encourage you to consider that that might just be the case. Have you ever let God speak for himself? I've never once talked to Rick Pitino or John Calipari. I don't really know what these guys are like. If I could have dinner with them, I'd have a much better opinion of them. I would really then know them. I don't now. Have you ever listened to God and what he's like? God comes down the mountain, comes to Moses and proclaims his name, proclaims his nature, his character, his person. He says what he's like. And in verse six, it says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. And in this one verse, he gives five characteristics. Please take notes on these five. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord. That's in all caps there. That's the name of God, Yahweh. That is our God Almighty, the all-powerful God, the one and true, the only God that there is. He says it twice, and then he gives five characteristics. Number one, merciful and gracious. Merciful and gracious. The first part there, merciful, means compassionate. Compassionate. Your version might say compassionate. Compassionate God. A merciful God. That's what I meant when I said most people who've got opinions about God have never heard that he's compassionate. There's a, there's a group out there called Compassion International. And you know what they do? All they do is raise money and give 100% of the money to orphan kids around the world. What a ministry. They don't keep any money back for themselves. 100% of it goes to orphan kids around the world. Who in the world came up with that ministry? Who in the world thought of that? Who started that? Who in the world spends all of their life, time and energy working for the, the poor and needy orphans that are living in third world countries right now? I don't know, but whoever it is has a heart of compassion. Compassion could be described as this. God, in speaking about himself and calling himself merciful or compassionate, says he genuinely cares about humans. I want to ask you here today if you've ever heard that God genuinely cares about you. Here, he is telling Moses that he is a merciful, compassionate God. Think about them. They are people who are not compassionate towards God. They didn't care what God was going to think when they made that golden calf. They didn't care what God was going to think when they started calling an animal made out of product uh, their God. When they started worshiping it, bowing down to it, singing songs. They didn't care. They were not genuinely concerned or caring at all. Not one little bit, not the least little bit about what this was going to mean to God. But God's not like that. God is merciful. God is compassionate. He genuinely cares about humans. These very people that have rebelled against him and done that, he is coming back to. They come. Moses comes up the mountain on behalf of the people and God comes to them. He cares. 
And God holds toward them a tender attitude of concern and mercy. What a thought. That God is merciful and compassionate towards us. That is His tender attitude toward us. In Philippians chapter 2, I think I said this last week, the Bible tells us that the attitude of Jesus is that He saw every one of us as more important than Himself. What an attitude of mercy and compassion. Have you ever been moved with compassion? Do you remember the story of the, of the, um, the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells? Where there's a man beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And Jesus says the, 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 the priest walks by and sees it and just kind of takes a detour. Then the Levite comes by, another religious leader, and sees it and, and, and just ignores it and walks by. But then just the regular old, not connected, different part of town, different part of the country, the Samaritan comes by and it says that he saw the man and he had compassion on him. He wasn't able to just ignore it. That man over there beaten and dying and struggling and lowly and hurting and lost without God, that man needed somebody to care, needed somebody to have concern for them, needed somebody with compassion. And the Bible tells us, That God is compassionate. It tells us that God is compassionate through the mouth of God on the mountain to Moses who represents a stiff-necked people. Now listen, I know that sometimes you are compassionate. But it's often toward a needy child in a third world country. Or it's often toward a little child who's cute and sweet. And if they don't get help, then they're going to end up ruining themselves. You and I are not often passionate to the stiff-necked person who has just robbed from you or spit in your face or done you wrong or flipped you off or this or that. We often are not compassionate there. But we're not God. We're not God. And God will take the worst of people... And have compassion on them. God will go to the worst of sinners and have compassion on them. Of all people in the whole world that God would start the entire mission enterprise agency with to reach the whole world for the sake of Christ, it is Saul of Tarsus, mass murderer, terrorist leader, killing Christians in the book of Acts. And God goes to him with compassion and saves his soul. And starts redeeming the world. Were it not for Saul of Tarsus, I dare say, thus us in Fairdale would not be believing. Because God used that man through compassion to reach the world. If you've never heard that God has compassion towards you, then please listen to me. He does. God genuinely cares right now about you. Next, he says... That He is gracious. He is gracious. I love the word grace. We sing it a lot. It's amazing grace. Grace is a common word in, in our society. God tells Moses that He's gracious. You've got to know that while compassion was comforting to Moses and the sinful people of Israel, grace had to have been. Because grace means you're getting something that you don't deserve. Grace means that possibly these Israelite people who don't deserve anything from God are about to get something. About to get something. God has showed up. We know we don't. He don't owe us anything. That's for sure. But he might give us something. He's gracious. One commentator says that God does things for people that they do not deserve. And God goes beyond what might be expected to grant truly kind favor toward people. Favor of which they're not necessarily worthy. 
And I would bet if time would allow it, we could go around this room right now. There would be testimony after testimony after testimony of you folks standing up saying, I don't deserve to be here. I'm going to tell you all right now, and you all know it. I don't deserve to have Val as a good wife. I don't. God in His great grace has given me a lady that loves me. I don't deserve to be the pastor of this church. I don't deserve to have y'all here listening. But God in His grace has given me a church. What has God given you and done for you that He didn't have to? Some of y'all are in here today feeling so good. Your health's not bothering you. God has given you that. Some of y'all are here today and your health's killing you. God has been gracious to us in so many ways. What is it that God has done for you? Your children, your family, your job? Now, there's a lot of hurting people in the world who money is about to ruin their lives because they don't have any. And they don't know where to turn. And some of y'all are here today and it's the last thing on your mind. The grace of God is abounding toward us. He's doing things for us that He didn't have to. He's gracious. Some of us have never thought about that and God is doing things for us and yet we have yet to say, God, thank you. I had a dad tell me this week that the first time he took his son deer hunting and he killed his first deer, his boy did, they stopped after that. And they prayed to God, saying, thank you. Thank you because, God, what a privilege it is for father and son to be together. What a privilege it is for father and son to be getting along. What a blessing it is for us to have the, the time and the resources and the land and the gun and the bullets and the opportunity to do this. And they prayed to God. And they said, God, thank you for giving us all of this. You didn't have to. Who thinks about Saying thanks to God in that moment. Somebody who has received grace. Somebody who knows that God is gracious. Thirdly, he says, slow to anger. As God is proclaiming his name, I'm getting more excited. You can only imagine that Moses is going, it's unbelievable. Compassionate towards us. He cares. Gracious. He's going to give us something. Slow to anger. He's not mad at us. I thought he was going to come in here and wear us out. I thought he was going to obliterate us. I thought he was going to crush us. He should have. We're down here on the mountain worshiping a golden calf of all things. We were just worshiping Him. We just declared to Him, God, I'm going to do everything You tell me to. I want to obey. God, You've been so good to me. I'm going to do everything You ask me to do. God disappears for just a little bit. They're down here worshiping something else. They don't have a care in the world for God because they just want to make themselves happy by doing whatever they want to do, whatever pleases them. They're their own God. Let's make this calf. It'll satisfy us. We'll worship it. God could have come down there and destroyed them. That's what he said that he was going to do back in chapter 32, back in chapter 33. But through the prayers of Moses and through the character of God, he did it. It is in the nature of God to be slow to anger. 
If God was more like you and I and how fast he is to anger, then there would be less people on the planet right now. If God treated me the way I've treated people when they sin against me, I would be dead. He would have gotten rid of me. How quick to anger we are. Some of y'all choose somebody out in the line at Walmart if it gets a little bit delayed. Some of y'all call customer service and chew their ear out just because that person is a little bit inadequate on the phone. We are so quick to anger. We think it's our right to. God's not like that. God takes his time in getting angry. God is slow to anger. Folks, God's not that mad. He certainly could be. He could be. Do you know that that's how God is? Can you imagine? Can you imagine being Moses there at this meeting? I can only imagine that Moses kind of like, all right, God, I, I did everything you told me to do. I got the stone tablets. I'm, I'm here. The stiff-necked people are behind me. That's us. We did it. And let me tell you what I'm like, Moses. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate, merciful, gracious, slow to anger. I can kind of picture Moses going, you're not mad? What? You're not mad? Why aren't you mad at us? Do you remember what we did? And God's saying, I'm slow to anger. Folks, His patience is great. His patience is great. I want to ask you if here today, if you're thinking, if you'll admit, He should be mad at me. With your half-hearted effort in religion, with your straddling the fence between I love this and I love God, I love both and I don't know how to choose between. With your hardly committed to Jesus, would you admit in confessing your sin today, He should be mad at me. And then hear Him say He's not. He's slow to anger. Would you feel the great relief that Moses is beginning to feel on behalf of the people because he is compassionate towards you, gracious to you, and slow to anger toward you? Number four. Number four. He is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Abounding. Every once in a while, Val be washing dishes in the kitchen and she'll have like a, a pot that... Uh, that she had just, I don't know, made some homemade cookies in or something like that. She'll put it in the sink and she'll turn the water on. Well, it only takes about 30 seconds to fill that pot up. And five minutes later, the water's still going. I say, Val, you think it's full? And I look over there and the water's just going, <laughs> overflowing out of the top. That's what abounding means. It's just, it's just coming. It's just going and going. And you think you got enough? Well, it's just coming and coming and coming. You think you got enough? It's just coming and coming. Okay, that's enough. No, more, 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 more. And what is more, more, more of coming from God? Covenant. 
faithful, steadfast loyalty and love toward people. Even though they deserve His anger. Even though they deserve His judgment. Even though they deserve His punishment. Love is just flowing. and It wasn't like one serving of love. It wasn't like, okay, I'll give you a second. It's okay, I'll give you a second chance or a third chance. It wasn't like Peter in Matthew 18. Should I forgive him seven times? It wasn't seven opportunities of grace from God. It is an abounding mount. Like 70 times seven. Like this is never going to stop. Like, hey, you can turn the faucet off now. No, God is bringing it and bringing it and bringing it and bringing it and bringing it to your heart, to your soul, to your life. And what's he bringing? Faithful, loyal love to you. You might doubt whether your dad loves you. You might doubt whether your mom loves you. You might doubt whether there's any person on the planet that loves you. But listen to me. Do not doubt the character, nature of God Almighty. He loves you. He abounds in it. And it never stops. And I'm hoping that God would raise up a people who say, man, he loves me. And he should be mad at me, but he's not. That's not the way he is. Abounding. What a word. This is not Moses talking about God's love. This is not God thinking, he loves me so much, so, 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 so much, the way we try to talk. No, this is God talking to sinful Israel. This is God talking to his people. The Lord, the Lord, merciful, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast covenant love and faithfulness. It's flowing. At this point, on that fourth characteristic, Moses has got to be going. Yes! We can't go wrong with our God. We can't. We can go wrong with ourselves. We can't go wrong with Him. One commentator says, However fickle and unreliable humans may be in their relationship to God, He is nothing of the sort. And can be counted on in every situation and at all times to be completely faithful to his promises for his people. He is not like us. We have let our loved ones down. God has not, never will, cannot. If you know the love of God, it is abounding. He loves you. You can't get away from it. The last one there in verse 6. Oh, it's with, it's with the faithfulness. I'm sorry, I, I, I skipped it. Abounding in truth. Your version probably says abounding in truth. That's what, that's what his faithfulness means. I added that in there to the loved one. God is always giving us the truth. He has nothing else to be able to offer us. If it comes from God, it's true. That's the nature and character of God. There is no chance. Titus chapter 1 says, God is not able to lie. God is not able to lie, says in Titus 1. He can't. If you're getting anything from God at all, it is true. That's why I said you better watch where you're getting your opinion of God from. Because somebody telling you about God can be wrong. I had somebody tell me this week. That there was somebody who is right now living in sin. Listen to this. Living in outright, open, public, blatant sin. And at another church, not even in Fairdale, I don't even know the church, I don't even know the denomination. Somebody told the church about this person and asked if they could be put on the prayer list. And the minister of that church said no. 
people like that can't be on our prayer list. That's ridiculous. People are forming opinions off of God, off of stuff like that. It doesn't matter who you are or how wicked and dirty and wrong and rebellious you are. We should be praying for you. And you know why we should be praying for you? Because that God will be good to you. God says he's abounding in love and he's abounding in truth. Whatever God says is correct and reliable and it can be trusted in any and all situations. In the face of life and death, God can be trusted. He's only true. In the face of a situation that seems to have no way out, in the face of a situation that has no good solution, God can be trusted. He is abounding in truth, abounding in faithfulness. That's the way God is. Can you imagine being God or being Moses up there on the mountain? When God, when Moses, when God comes and proclaims his name and says, verse six, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Moses knew he had come to the true God. Moses knew he wasn't about to get wrapped up in religion. You ever seen somebody whose life's kind of falling apart? They don't know which way to turn. They're hoping for some answers. They're looking for hope or whatever. And somebody invites them to church. Well, I don't know. I don't know how the people are going to receive me. I don't know if everybody's going to judge me. The building might collapse when I walk in. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I fit in there. I don't know if it's going to work out. Folks, if, if, if that sort of thing is being communicated from a people of God, body of Christ church, then it is not like God. The sinful people just came up to the mountain to God, represented by Moses, and God starts to speak. Like I said, if it had been me speaking to my sinful kids, I would have been blasting them with all the wrong they're doing. And God comes to Moses and starts telling him how great the character and nature of God is. Do you not see how awesome our God is? Verse 7, he says more. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. So now he's telling Moses, y'all aren't the only ones. This is what I'm like. I'm going to keep doing this for generations and generations and generations. There are going to be a lot of people in heaven. And Revelation says that it is myriads upon myriads and thousands upon thousands. And then he turns and says, this is a number that cannot be counted in Revelation 7, 9. Why? Because this God described here in 34, 6, the God who is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in truth. That God is going to keep being that way to lots and lots and lots and lots of people for thousands of generations. Heaven is going to be fun and there are going to be a lot of people there. But look what he says next. And this is at the heart of all of this. Forgiving Iniquity and transgression and sin. He doesn't love you where you're at. In your sins. He loves you by forgiving you of your sins. God is a forgiver of sins. 
This is how God is able to be so awesome to us. He has already told them several times, sinners in my presence, I will destroy. And we know that to be true. We do have a few passages in the scripture where God has done that to them. Here is how God overflows the love toward his people. Here's how, here's how he is slow to anger, compassionate, merciful, and gracious. Because he forgives people of their sins. He's not able to ignore it. He's not the substitute teacher that's not accountable to anybody. Doesn't really have to answer to the principal. They're just there to get paid and to make sure things don't go wrong. He's not the one that just lets everything slide. He's the one who said, I want to create a people for my glory. But the people didn't want it. So he sent his son. And Jesus came in the fullness of God and lived on earth without sin. Dwelt among this people, tabernacled among them, lived among them, was like them in every way, tempted like them in every way. And then they killed him. And as they were killing Christ, Jesus says, you don't take my life from me. Nobody does. I lay it down on my own accord. What gets you and I thinking, why would Jesus be giving up his life? And then we come to the realization of what we're like. We are a sinful people. We are a stiff-necked people like Israel. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's what we're like. Jesus comes and he dies on the cross. And while Jesus is hanging on the cross, God puts our sins on him. And the God who is compassionate, gracious, anger, uh, slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in truth, that God also does hate sin. And so that he can be those things to these people, he crushes Jesus on the cross. It was the will of the Lord, the delight of the Lord. He was pleased to crush Jesus, he was slaughtered, Revelation 5 says. God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Greater love has no man than this, that one would die for his enemies. Jesus died for us. And if anybody would believe that, they will be forgiven of their sins, their iniquities, And their transgressions. They will stand in the compassion of God. They will know His grace and that God has given them all things. They will know that God should have been mad at me, but He's not. They will know that they are loved by God. And they will know that that is the truth. Because God only speaks the truth. I want to ask you, if you've brought your past, you've brought your sins, you've brought your darkness to that God and been forgiven. There are a couple different options. Maybe you don't think you've got sins and so you don't need to come to that God. Maybe you think God's just all Ten Commandments and law blasting people and you've never sinned against him. So you and that blasting God are good. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. Maybe you've never heard of that God. 
And you've wanted God, but you've just been living with guilt and shame. You didn't think you were able to even go to church. You don't even feel right enough to pray to God because you're so guilty and condemned in your sins. Can I tell you that that God that you had a picture of isn't this God? This God has a message for us that sounds good. That's why it's called the gospel. You know, the gospel means good news. When sinful, stiff-necked, rebellious people like us hear about God, we think, really? For me? Love, truth, faithfulness, mercy, compassion, grace? You, you want to give me something? God says yes. Because of Jesus. The Bible says that salvation is a gift of God. A gift of God. He gives presence to people. Look what it says next. But... Who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. When God, listen to me. When God says all of that great stuff that I've just said, I've spent the last hour explaining that. And when God says all of that, when God comes to the mountain with Moses and proclaims his name, when he says the Lord, the Lord, and gives those five characteristics, it doesn't mean that it's an automatic for every person on the planet. The Bible says if you reject God, he will reject you. If you don't come to God... Asking Him for forgiveness? If God is not merciful and gracious to you, then He will by no means clear the guilty. Folks, there will be people left guilty before God and they will be judged. But it shouldn't be that way. And it doesn't have to be that way. God's just doing what God should do. If you're here today with a sinful heart or a sinful past, hear what God is like. Know that you can go to Him and be forgiven of all your sins, your trespasses, your iniquities, your transgressions, all of those because of what God is like and because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Verse 8, look what verse 8 says. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Why in the world is Moses doing this? Because he has just come to hear what God Almighty is really like. And it is really too good to be true, it seems. That is not what sinners think God is going to say to them. In the last month, I've had two different people tell me, one person tell me because of a sexual relationship that they don't see any way how they could be right with God ever again. Another person tell me because of some sin that they've done that they don't think they can ever face somebody else that they've sinned against because they don't see how it could be fixed. To both of them, I said, you're thinking about yourself. And the way you would deal with it. You've yet to think about how God deals with it. 
God forgives people who come to him asking for forgiveness. If you're running from a sin, if you're running from a splintered relationship, you're not acting like God. You're not living based off the way that God is. You're not living a life based off the truthful word of God. You're not living your life based off the character and nature of what God is like. God is slow to get mad and quick to forgive people who will come saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you'll come to me or us, if you'll come to God saying, please forgive me of my sin, I have wronged. Our answer should be, you are forgiven based off of what Christ has done. Christ died to bring us to God. And in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that God through Christ was reconciling the world to himself. Listen, not counting their sins against them. The sins are there. We've been sinned against. God's been sinned against. But God doesn't count those sins against him because of what Jesus has done. If that's not a message that sinful people need to hear, then I don't know what one is. And it's not a message of judgment. It's not a message of we're better than you. It's a message of, can I tell you what God is like? Look at verse 9. He said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and sin and take us for your inheritance. I want to ask you today, when we end this service here in just a few minutes, if you would say, God, please take me. Please take me to be yours, even with my sins. Does everybody see that? that's what Moses says at the very end of verse 9? And take us, the stiff-necked people, iniquity and sin, take us to be yours. And you know what God does? He takes them. You know what He's done to stiff-necked, hard-hearted, quick-to-rebel, prideful Josh Green? He took me. Not because of me, but because of Jesus. Tripp Lee says it. He doesn't love me because of me. No, He loves me because of Him. That's how God is. And I challenge you today to let your life be a biblical, truthful, God-centered, Jesus-focused life based off of truth that says, I know what God's like. And He will take me in my sins because of His character and in what Christ has done. He loves me. He's compassionate to me. He is merciful to me. He is gracious to me. He has forgiven me of my sins through the death of Jesus. And I believe it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven. Thank you for Exodus 34. Moses there on the mountain with the tablets. Wondering if God's going to take him back. And God starts to talk about God. And all of a sudden, 
everything starts looking up. Father, give us this understanding in our own lives. Let's let God talk about God and let things start looking up. Father, for those who are here today who can say God should be mad at me, for those who are here today who could say, God, I've got so much that I'm hiding and holding in, so much that I'm embarrassed of and regretful of and ashamed of. God, thank you that you're now speaking. May we run to you for the forgiveness of sins and may you take us to be yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.